You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Chris is off tonight. Starting tomorrow, penalties for high-risk drivers in this province will be going up by a whopping 20%. Aaron MacArthur has more on which infractions are seeing the hefty increase and how much it'll cost offenders. Aaron. Sophie, basically anything dumb that we do behind the wheel is going to cost us more. Not the ticket. We'll still have to pay that. It's the administrative fees over and above the ticket that are going up. If you are caught speeding Thursday, you're going to pay more. Use your cell phone, pay more. Get a roadside prohibition, pay more. And it turns out a lot more. Unfortunately, the bad news. The provincial government cranking up the penalties for bad drivers. Driver risk premiums and penalty points all going up. You, there. If you're a reckless driver, you shouldn't be uh, driving out there. And if someone has a, a history of repeated uh, reckless driving violations, then they shouldn't be on the road. If you get pinched for an offence that results in four points, it will cost you $210. The bill tied to your driver's licence. And risk premiums for things like excessive speeding or cell phone use go up too. $384 for one infraction, $1,356 for 10. Critics of ICBC say this is not targeting the right people. It's totally a cash grab. They are going after the money. And they're going after it, like I said, cynically, they're blaming certain people. The high end of the range for these penalties is staggering. Five criminal convictions in one year will see $28,000 in premiums. Now, anytime a government increases penalties for something like this, critics always say, this is a cash grab. What's your response to that? Well, in a sense, uh, yes, we are, uh, in fact, uh, taking money from uh, bad drivers, and the money is going into reducing insurance rates for drivers who are not engaged in these reckless behaviors. The government expects the first year of the increased penalties to bring in somewhere in the neighborhood of $26 million. They go up next year, too, and the revenue climbs right along beside it. An overwhelming majority of British Columbians supported hitting bad drivers with higher fees. At the same time, most of us think we're good drivers. It's some bad math and it'll be some hard lessons come tomorrow when the fines start rolling in. Sophie? I'm sure. All right, Aaron, thank you. Three people have been arrested following a series of break-ins in Vancouver. When police found the trio, two of the men surrendered, while a third took off. And as Grace Key reports, that's when an innocent bystander got caught up in the melee. It all unfolded in this parking lot on Southwest Marine Drive in Granville Street just at 5.30 yesterday evening. Now, Vancouver police say they spotted a pickup truck with three men inside who were suspected of breaking into a home earlier that day. Police did arrest two of the men without incident, but it was the third man who allegedly ran from police, tried to carjack a taxi full of people, and when that didn't work, ran to a gas station across the street where he forced a man out of his car. A police dog did catch up with him before he was able to drive off. That suspect was taken to hospital for treatment. It was a second police dog that mistakenly bit a 75-year-old man on his leg. This was an innocent bystander who was just getting out of his vehicle here in the parking lot. That man was treated and released from hospital. That scenario will be dissected in the days to come. So we have training officers in our canine unit that will review it. The sergeants will then review it. Then the inspector or the manager will review it. It'll get passed on to our professional standards section and then to the OPCC for review. Our goal here is to find out what happened, how we can prevent that in the future from happening to anyone else. 
Vancouver police say that their canine units respond to about 7,000 calls a year, and an incident like this is extremely rare. They also say there will be a thorough review of the incident. Sophie? Grace Key reporting. Grace, thank you. The SPCA is investigating a disturbing discovery in Maple Ridge. A cat was found bound with zap straps around its neck and legs and sitting in a park swing. The discovery was made last Friday at Cook Park. Investigators are now awaiting a necropsy to determine if the cat was dead or alive when it was tied up. A workaround plan to keep classes going for a group of elementary school students during a seismic upgrade at their regular school isn't going over well with many parents. John Hua has more on the concerns being raised and why parents of another school already in the throes of a similar plan are sounding the alarm. Drop off at Edith Cavell Elementary might soon look more like a bus depot. With students being shuttled across Vancouver to go to school. It wasn't until I looked at a map that I was shocked. The school on Cambian West 20th slated for $15.6 million in seismic upgrades in 2020. The plan is to split students up and send them to one of two swing schools. The problem? We were absolutely astounded that we would be going to the farthest point in Vancouver. Students will be driven east towards the Vancouver-Burnaby border to either Champlain Heights School or Dr. H.N. McCorkendale Elementary. The commute takes about 20 minutes with absolutely no traffic. So I decided to go at around 2.30 in the afternoon, a time that I thought was reasonable. Uh, didn't make it at 3 o'clock. Uh, got there in 52 minutes. The Parent Advisory Council claims there's been no consultation from the Vancouver School Board and worries it will force parents to be less involved and children to miss out on extracurricular activities. It affects her after-school activities. I, won't be, I would have to cancel her diving and her swimming. In a statement, the Vancouver School Board writes, the district has committed to improved communication moving forward, to re-examining temporary accommodation plans, and to keeping the project moving forward on time. I would probably say to some of the parents, you might be better off to drive on your own. That's what Eric Cito did when seismic upgrades started at his son's school, Kingford Smith Elementary. Despite the two same swing schools being only five minutes away, he says it's still a mess. About 14 kids uh, were left behind at Kingsford for a pickup because the bus had left early and that was a driver error. And while Vancouver parents know seismic upgrades are needed, they never thought it would be the relocation plan that would turn their lives upside down. John Hua, Global News. Well, if you are a fan of the grouse grind, heads up, it'll take you longer than usual to do the hike starting tomorrow. Grouse Mountain Skyride, which most hikers use to descend the mountain, will be closed from November 1st to 12th, along with all mountaintop facilities, including restrooms and food service. That means the only way down will be via the BCMC route, adding on at least an extra Two hours of hiking time. Because of shorter daylight hours, the Grouse Grind Trail Gate will close at 1 p.m. daily from November 1st to 12th. North Shore Rescue is concerned about a spike in call-outs due to the change. So if you are planning to venture out, be prepared and plan ahead. It is the end of the line for Greyhound service across Western Canada. Today, the last bus left Vancouver. Catherine Urquhart has more on where that leaves travelers and how at least some of the gaps will be filled. After 15 years on the job, Greyhound driver Doug Campbell is boarding his last customers. Well, I am sad, of course, because uh, Greyhound is closing, of course. It's been a great job and everything like that, but... Uh, 
you know, life goes on, right? And away we go. This is the company's final bus to depart Vancouver as Greyhound ends its service within Western Canada, citing high costs and a decline in ridership of 41% since 2010. I'm going to miss it because it's been so many years. It's going to make it very, very difficult for me to get back to Alberta next summer. A number of smaller companies will be taking over 87% of the routes, e-bus among them. We have two departures out of Vancouver today for Kamloops. We have two for Kelowna out of Vancouver, and we have two departures between Kelowna and Kamloops. Some of the more remote communities will be left without service. Canada's transportation minister promising to find solutions. We are therefore also announcing a federal provincial territorial working group that will continue to collaborate over the next two years in order to develop a long-term plan to address mobility issues across the entire country. Greyhound says it will continue to operate between Seattle and Vancouver, an exception for the carrier as it lets go of more than 400 employees. I am sad. I'm very sad with the situation. Do you have another job? Uh, so far, I might have something. Okay. Yeah. As for Doug, he says it's been a good ride. All and with that, after nearly 100 years, Greyhound Canada was gone. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. Alberta Premier Rachel Notley was in Kamloops today to talk about the importance of the Trans Mountain Pipeline and warning B.C. steelworkers that their jobs are at risk without it. Keith Baldry joins us live in Victoria with more on this. Keith, what did she have to say? Yeah, this is great political irony, Sophie. So the United Steelworkers Union, the biggest single financial contributor to the BC NDP, which opposes the Trans Mountain Pipeline project, but a project that the Steelworkers Union firmly uh, supports, as does Alberta Premier Rachel Notley. So who do the Steelworkers Union invite to their convention in the heart of pipeline country? None other than Rachel Notley, who, of course, has had more than a war of words with her counterpart, John Horgan. Again, bringing the message that pipeline means jobs and good news for the economy. And what we know is that the economics around this pipeline are, it, it's dead to rights, absolutely what needs to happen to create jobs and build prosperity uh, for all of Canada. And, and what we are doing right now is, is uh, tying our hands behind our back in a way that, that just makes no economic sense. All right, Keith, on a bit of a lighter note, I understand there was quite a cast of characters at the legislature. There always is, but this was different. <laughs> Yeah, these ones had uh, had uh, costumes, basically, because it was a trick-or-treat day at the legislature today. And none other than the chief candy dispenser, the premier himself, John Horgan, dressed in his usual attire, which is a Star Trek uniform. Uh, you saw Kylie Stanton there and her young son Sawyer, as well as Richard Zussman's uh, kids, Bailey and Eli, getting their candy as well. Bailey dressed as uh, Cleopatra and Eli as an astronaut. Uh, a big moment. This thing gets bigger and bigger every year, Sophie. More and more kids. These are basically the kids of the people people who work at the legislature, both political staff and civil servants, and it's quite a quite a haul of candy for a lot of little people in adorable costumes, and all I have left, I have to say, are the wrappers. I've already consumed my for the day. How much did you go through, Keith? Oh my goodness. Three or four, including a couple <laughs> the Premier gave me. <laughs> all right, thanks very much, right. Keith. Dressed like a political reporter, of course. Right now, though, it is, of course, Halloween, and no better time to talk about the creepy and the crawly, including... Ugh, spiders. 
For many, the fear, rational or irrational, can be paralyzing. Linda Aylesworth has a look at why that is and attempts to combat our fear with fact. There you go, Spider. Put your big old hairy legs on the jug. Spiders are scary to as many as 50% of women and 18% of men. I don't really understand why that is, because there's no good reason to fear spiders. They are actually our friends. Well, they're definitely Andreas Fischer's friends. He's dedicated his life to the study of spiders, or rather, to the scent or pheromones they produce. They talk with their smell, and I investigate that perfume. His fellow researchers are also perplexed by arachnophobia. Well, they're totally harmless, though. I know, I don't mind them, I leave them. This one's kind of cute. They're kind of underappreciated. Just because they're creepy crawlies doesn't mean that if you look at them and you looked at their faces, uh, that they wouldn't be cute just like any other animal. Really? 600 spiders live here at Simon Fraser University's Insectary. So where do you get your spiders? So I get my spiders here from the hallways in the university. This time of year, many spiders come inside to find mates and continue the cycle of life. So do you see those white balls right here and here? Those are false black widow XX, but she doesn't seem to be at home. In all his years studying spiders, Andreas has never been bitten, but he says that even if he was, it wouldn't amount to much. There may be a handful of species all around the world which actually can do harm to humans, and all the rest of the mil thousands and maybe millions of species of spiders are totally harmless to us. In Canada, this is the one and only exception. But the black widow spider, found all over BC, is very reluctant to bite. When you squeeze them, they maybe bite you. But um, very often, a black widow would not apply any toxin at all. So don't squeeze them. And remember, spiders are our friends. I would encourage people, especially around Halloween, to use the opportunity to learn a little bit more about spiders. And the more they would learn about those spiders, the less they would become afraid of them. And that is good for everyone. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. No. Big fat no to that. <laughs> no. Definitely right. no to the spiders. <laughs> no to the spiders. Uh, Yvonne Shell is with us tonight, checking out all the little ghosts and goblins and hopefully no spiders out trick-or-treating in East Vancouver. And it's, uh, it's not a bad night so far for trick-or-treating. Yeah, it's very pleasant out this evening. Temperatures are hovering at 10 or 11 degrees if you're about to head on out. And right now we are seeing dry conditions, but there is a chance of showers uh, through the evening hours and trick-or-treating hours, so be prepared or a bit of light drizzle. All right, we've uh, caught up with a few trick-or-treaters. We're just in East Van, and we wanted to uh, get everybody's Halloween costume. So what are you this year? A firefighter. Bell. I am a zombie businessman. A uh, cowgirl. Halo. A central Saanich man who stood accused of terrorizing his neighbors with his car stereo was today sentenced for excessive noise. Some people like hockey, some people like lacrosse, I like karate. You may remember our story on Dustin Hamilton. Almost two dozen of his neighbors complained to police about the excessive noise from his boom car. A year ago, he was banned from using it, and today he was sentenced to two years probation and given a conditional discharge, which means no criminal record. Hamilton built the stereo for competitions. He is also a car audio installer by profession.
BC's salmon farms are under attack once again. Sea lice in the farms is out of control, according to a new environmental report. That report claims the industry has failed to protect fish from parasites, and it's affecting the health of our oceans. But as Kylie Stanton reports, supporters of the industry are, are bucking the claims. They're small and have strength in numbers, but now new research suggests these sea lice are out of control at salmon farms on the West Coast. This year in Clackwood Sound, we saw juvenile wild salmon with as many as 50 lice on them. These are fish that are weighing you know, a gram at best. They're dead. The report by Living Oceans and Raincoast Research claims the sea lice have become resistant to slice, the only drug approved to eradicate the parasite in Canada, meaning they're not only surviving but thriving in the waters, resulting in grave implications for both wild salmon and the farming industry. Independent monitoring at several sites in B.C. found 96% of wild juveniles carried lice. The average number found was 8.04, with some counts as high as 50. What's even more concerning is it only takes three sea lice to kill a young fish. But those statistics shouldn't come as a surprise to the federal government. We discovered that the DFO's known about this for at least four years and has not taken steps to ensure that wild salmon would be protected from the lice levels on the farms. The society is calling on DFO to approve new drugs or chemicals that farmers can cycle through in order to treat the sea lice on an ongoing basis. In a statement, DFO said research is underway to find alternative methods to manage sea lice and to better predict and track slice resistance. In the meantime, the BC Salmon Farmers Association claims it's taking it upon itself to get creative in managing the issue. We use multiple approaches. Uh, we have medication we can use. Uh, we have uh, what are called hydrolysers, which, which knock the, 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 the uh, sea lice off with water pressure. But the group says there is another way. What I would like to see happen is the farms out of the water. The hope is the findings will urge the federal government to transition the farms out of open ocean net pens and into land-based closed containment. They say the survival of the salmon and the industry itself depends on it. This can be done and it's time to do it here. Kylie Stanton, Global News. A major Ontario highway is paralyzed tonight after a fuel tanker collided with another vehicle, rolled over and then burst into flames. Ontario Provincial Police are confirming two people are dead. No others have been reported injured. The highway is expected to remain closed as officials investigate. It all happened on Highway 407 near Vaughan, about 40 kilometres outside of Toronto. Indonesian search teams making a big break in the search for answers in that Lion Air crash. A signal from the plane's black box has been heard deep below the sea. Family members of the 189 people on board are hoping it will help uncover what happened in the final moments of that fatal flight. They've found more debris, but still no answers. More bags and shoes from passengers on board, but for families, few clues to how their loved ones died. One missing passenger sent this haunting video to his wife as he walked the jetway. His boarding pass for seat 24B. For search teams, a breakthrough. Finding what they believe is part of the fuselage. Using sonar ships and underwater drones, they detected 100 feet down on the seabed, an object 72 feet long. Underwater microphones have heard pings they say are from the flight recorders. The two black boxes divers will now try to recover for clues as to why a brand new plane suddenly plunged minutes after takeoff. 
As more body bags were brought ashore, the airline's technical director has been fired. The big question, was mechanical failure the cause? Bill Neely, NBC News, London. Well, the Calgary bid for the 2026 Olympic Games has survived another day after the city council voted to resurrect the bill from near death. Global's Adam McVicker has more on what's next in the process to bring the Olympics back to Canada. Well, Calgary's 2026 Olympic bid is still a go, barely passing a vote in council chambers. The vote following several hours of tense debate in which councillors grilled representatives from Calgary's 2026 Bid Corporation. Council needed 10 votes to kill the plebiscite and bid, and while the majority of councillors voted to put a stop to this process, they didn't meet that threshold. It was a fiery Q&A throughout the day about the new agreement, the costs and the risks of going over budget, as well as the potential of moving the November 13th plebiscite. Of course, this all turned upside down last night when Bidco released a new proposed funding agreement, which has both the City of Calgary and the federal government shouldering more of the price tag. The vote being met with mixed reaction. You have to remember that we've heard a lot from those that are against, not so much those that are for. And uh, I think it's now that everybody understands the math, um, you know, it's a great opportunity for the Calgary's or the the councillors that are for to to be more vocal in the community and uh, talk about what a great deal it is for Calgary. And I explained, look, council is divided. It's going to be a complicated deal to explain to people. And they said, don't condescend. Give us the deal, let us look at it, and let us vote. So ultimately that was the driving force behind my vote today, to ensure that people really had the right to vote. The day beginning with a gathering of Yes supporters rallying to keep the bid process going. They later made their way inside to watch the proceedings in overflow seating outside council chambers. The new agreement means Calgary will need to pony up $390 million for the games in the needed public funding reduced to under $3 billion. Now Calgarians will head to the polls to vote on this bid on November 13th. Back to you. Adam McVicker reporting. Now, if the bid does move forward, BC will also be playing a role with some of the events held in Whistler. But there's no word on whether British Columbians would be on the hook to contribute to the multi-billion dollar cost. India has a new accolade to celebrate. It is now home to the tallest statue in the world. The giant statue pays tribute to Sardar Patel, a leader of the Indian independence movement. He was instrumental in freeing the country from British control. At a height of 182 meters, the figure is nearly twice the size of the Statue of Liberty. It cost more than $420 million to build. Buckle up, the future of commuting is almost here. We are talking about the incredible advances in driverless technology. And now, one Ontario university is putting students on the fast track for creating cars of the future. Sean O'Shea reports. Away we go. Away we go. No hands. No hands. No hands. We're driving legally. (laughs) Actually, the car is driving itself. A modified Lincoln MKZ known as the Autonomous. We can do kinds of things that are distinct from what you might want to try if you really need to get a product to work quickly. For two years, engineering students and faculty at the University of Waterloo have been pioneering homegrown technology for self-driving cars. They're showing us a demonstration of the Autonomous let loose. The first capability is to avoid obstacles on road. That's an important capability. That's a very important capability. The car sees an object, in this case a bale of hay. It drives around. 
the car also needs to steer clear of oncoming traffic. We're going to basically see it being on the other lane, so we're going to ignore it. So far, so good. But driving involves turns at intersections. It's going to basically you to that vehicle until it passes. And then it's going to proceed to make a left turn safely, <laughs> nice and slowly and smoothly. And then once that happens, um, there we go. There we go. This Canadian project is not only to help prepare engineers for in-demand tech jobs, grads are quickly snapped up, they've done something else. We've built a self-driving code base that is completely our own. So every piece of the software that we need, we've been able to put together into a cohesive package that runs in real time and keeps the car safe. The Autonomous has been tested off-road and on the streets of Kitchener-Waterloo, a much smaller test than Google's Waymo on the road nearly a decade and which just this week got regulatory permission to start testing self-driving cars on public roads in California without anyone in the vehicle. Still, it's this Canadian technology, helping a car navigate snow, for example, that could find its way into the self-driving cars to come. Five to ten years away in fleet vehicles, but it's anybody's guess when you'll be able to buy an autonomous vehicle for general use. There's always some new condition that these cars need to handle. I don't know when we're going to get to that point. Sean O'Shea, Global News, Waterloo, Ontario. People living with Parkinson's are struggling to cope now that a drug they depend on is in short supply. Cinnamit is key to helping patients manage their symptoms and tremors. Nadia Stewart has more on what's behind the nationwide shortage that's left sufferers scrambling for alternatives. And then out for dinner with the gang. Gary Harrison and his wife typically have a busy schedule, but a shortage of Gary's daily Parkinson's medication is an unexpected disruption, making everyday life even more challenging. Well, I have a growing worry or concern uh, as to what may happen. Gary takes Cinnamon three times a day and has since shortly after he was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease back in 2010. The drug helps patients manage symptoms and tremors. The change in my symptoms after I took, uh, I began Cinnamon were immediate um, and complete. But six months ago, he learned from his pharmacist the drug was in short supply. Okay, so it's drug shortages, Canada.ca. Leaving those living with the disease asking why. Parkinson's patient John Hogan says he and others have been digging up what they can online. What's the holdup? What's, uh, you know, is it, a, is it an ingredient? Uh, are they not able to get you know, what the active ingredient is? What's causing the shortage is unclear. Cinnamon is made for Merck by another manufacturer, though Merck packages and distributes the drug. In an email to Global News, Merck would only say it's experiencing supply constraints worldwide, and they've received an increase in orders far exceeding their forecast. They know that uh, the number of people with Parkinson's disease is growing and uh, worldwide. And so you would think that there would be um, some pre-planning they could do in terms of uh, production of the drug. The shortage means patients have to rely on generic drugs, which can be tougher to swallow and some say are less effective because one has more filler in it than the other. Gary says it's less than ideal. There is going to be a severe problem among the community of people who have the misfortune to get this dreadful disease. A community that could be waiting until early 2019 before the medication they need will be back in stock. Nadia Stork, Global News. A little girl appears to have lost her head over her Halloween costume. This is two-year-old Maya from the Philippines. She's going viral for obvious reasons. She's a headless girl. So on top of being creepy, the costume also comes with a makeshift candy bowl in the neck. 
so she can go trick-or-treating hands-free. Adding to the fear factor, her older sister dressed up as a butcher. A fairy causes chaos in Barcelona. The ship colliding with a crane and the damage didn't stop there. We'll show you what happened right after Yvonne's forecast. We've been seeing some great scenes out in East Vancouver on this Halloween. Uh, Yvonne with the trick-or-treaters, how's it going out there? It's very, very busy. Uh, we've got lots of kids. We're about 40 minutes into the trick-or-treating. All right. Okay. We're quickly going to go through a couple of the costumes and then we're going to get right to the forecast. All right. All right, what are you for? What's your costume? I am a death angel. Yo! I'm a death angel too. I'm fun. <laughs> I'm a hobo. All right, okay. Um, I'm a deer. Okay. We're gonna get to a few more of these costumes in just a moment, but most importantly, if you're still planning on heading out for Halloween, let's take a look. We've got dry conditions right now as we pull up. This is the Frankenstein, but there's still a chance of showers and a bit of drizzle with temperatures anywhere between 10 and 11 degrees across Metro Vancouver. As we put the advance, if, as we advance the graphic into play, we are still looking at the potential for some shower activity for the evening hours, but the bulk of the moisture is really going to start to push in for tomorrow. We're sitting at 12 for Port Alberni, areas near uh, Whistler sitting at 7 degrees, and for areas near the Peace sitting at the freezing mark. Satellite and radar, so a bit of drizzle or shower activity still for the trick-or-treating hours this evening, and heavier rain is going to push in late this evening and overnight. Here's the future cast into play, a very wet start for Thursday morning. Interior sections will also see that rain and heavy at times, and areas across the central interior could see some rain mixed with snow. Higher amounts will be along the western sections of the island, but most areas seeing a range between 20 and up to 40 millimeters. 20 and up to 40 millimeters of rain will be along the north coast for tomorrow. Rain mixed with snow for the central interior and the southern interior tomorrow with highs between 9 and up to 10 degrees. It'll be rainfall on higher elevations especially into the Kootenays, could see a bit of flurries in the mix. Right along the south coast, we'll see temperatures between 10 to 12, potentially 13 degrees, but the rain will be the big weather story tomorrow. We're going to be ranging between 20 and up to 40 millimeters. Heaviest rain will be on our Thursday. We may catch a few breaks, and that'll be on our Friday. And then leading in towards our Saturday, if you've got plans for the weekend, Saturday will be the wetter out of the two, and then it should ease off off to a few showers but it nearly is a number of systems that are going to push into the area and we are going to see it quite heavy on our Saturday once again and for for tomorrow so so it's been great so far this evening we're about 40 to 45 minutes into the trick-or-treating hour and on a count of three everybody happy Halloween one two three trick-or-treating to do. I'm planning on bringing lots of candy back to you in the sure studio. Are. Sure you are. Clearly the sugar is having its way with those kids. All right, back to that shocking scene in Barcelona now. Oops. Well, that's the moment a ferry collides with a crane caught on camera. The impact sending dock workers running for cover. And then the crane topples over, ignites a fire. Incredibly, no one was injured. 
A witness says the weather was bad at the time and strong winds may have made it difficult to steer the ship. Was the guy trying to back away there hoping nobody noticed? I'm just going to back up oh, here. Nothing to see here. Nothing happened. I remember when I talked to um, a ferry captain who said, because the ferry captain had to park the boat, he said, mm -hmm. the thing about being a ferry captain when you park, you don't want what they call a TV incident. That oh, was yeah, a TV that was incident. A TV incident. That's what they meant. So embarrassing. I know we're adults, but don't you just once want to go out with a bag and do a little trick-or-treating tonight? We should. We should, but we won't. Why? Well, because we're too old, that's why. Well, we'll just tell them we're dressed up as Squire and Sophie from the news. <laughs> and these are the best costumes you've ever seen. Mm. Very realistic. Uh, Canucks in Chicago are the only teams playing tonight in the NHL games at Rogers Arena. If the Canucks win, they'll be back in first place in the Pacific Division. But the Canucks will be missing a bunch of players. We all know the injuries. Tanev, Edler, Sutter, Berchi, Nilsson, Beagle. The uh, Blackhawks will not have Patrick Kane. He is not feeling well. He is sick. Elias Pedersen is also sick, but in a good way. Like the kids say, his skills are sick. He is the 21st player in NHL history to score at least seven goals in his first seven NHL games. We have not seen this kind of excitement over a Canucks rookie. I guess Besser had some last year, but I don't think we've seen this kind of excitement since the early days of Pavel Bure. For current Canuck players, being around Pedersen, I guess, is similar to what the old Canucks found when Bure first arrived. Right to Nikolai Goldovin, nice pass, Delzato, Pedersen scores! He's, he seems to be wired like an elite player that uh, doesn't get uh, too far ahead of himself, doesn't uh, get blown away when good things happen, uh, expects a lot out of himself, uh, strong understanding of the game, seems to be wired. There's a shot block and Pedersen's ahead of the play, a breakaway! Kind of looks like his own style, I think. Like he, the way he moves the puck with his stick, he has the, uh, the handle a bit up, or, uh, higher up and, uh, when, uh, when he stick handled it. And, um, uh, I think he has his own, his own style. Canucks fans are watching the birth of a superstar in real time. Every game he plays, every stride he makes, and every shot Elias Pettersson takes, Canucks Nation is mesmerized. And a lot of that has to do with who he watched as a kid. Uh, I had some idols growing up. My first one was Peter Forsberg, but then I liked how like Nicholas Backstrom and Pavel Datsyuk playing. But I think I maybe I want to be my own player, Pavel Datsyuk. <laughs> that's uh, I, I'm calling him a mini Pavel right now, so <laughs> that's who I think of. More than a few Canucks think Pavel Datsyuk when they see Elias Pettersson doing his thing. It's a hefty comparison for a teenager skating in his first National Hockey League season. But as you can see, this is a player who has that potent puck potion of confidence and skill. And Pedersen oozes it. He's, he's unbelievable. And, uh, you know, it just like skates so like so straight up and with so fast and sees everything, doesn't look the puck. It's, sometimes he's just like, he's just himself. Like he doesn't remind me of anybody. Like he's just uh, like Elias Pedersen, you know, like and uh, he has this like whole way of creating chances and like making moves through his skates and like uh, feeling the puck that sometimes you never see before and uh, you know it's a uh, he's very particular and that's the way I see it. He's not blown away by the success and I, I don't think it upsets him if he if something bad goes wrong. I think he has a lot of uh, belief in himself which a lot of the elite players do. Jay Janower, Global Sports. You know it'd be really cool if Louis Erickson dressed up as a six million dollar hockey player tonight and scored. Actually not just tonight but 
a lot of nights. That would be very nice for the Vancouver Canucks. He hasn't scored a goal this season. He last scored February 17th. He knows what's expected of him, but he just can't seem to break through. Of course, you want to score goals and help the team as much as you can. But right now, it's uh, uh, can't find uh, find anything right now. Um, I mean, I had a, a few couple of good games there. That I had a good chances, but I can't find a way to score those goals. Uh, but it's um, I mean, it's all, all you can do is just try to uh, work hard and, and, and get better. And um, I mean, um, uh, if maybe if one comes tonight, uh, things can turn around a little bit, and, and you. You have that um, extra boost after that. Well, this was scary for Ottawa. Look at this goal last night. Derek Stepan from behind his own blue line, and Mike Condon loses it. And that's shorthanded the boot. And after that, he was pulled from the game, and this morning Mike Condon was put on waivers and sent to the minors. Two games, 800 save percentage. you got to be over 900 to be an NHL goalie. Vancouver Giants are ranked sixth overall in Canadian junior hockey. That's the fifth straight week. They are in the top ten. Victoria is ranked seventh. But today the Giants traded their leading scorer, James Malm, to Calgary because he asked for a trade. Why did he ask? Well, the Giants aren't sane. But in return, they get forward Tristan Nielsen and a draft pick. Nielsen, also a BC boy, hadn't been playing much in Calgary, wanted to be traded from there, so he'll be happy to be with the Giants. Giants coach Michael Dick worked with Nielsen in the Youth Olympic Games when uh, Tristan played for Canada. Oh, look at that. Remember when the Red Sox were the cursed franchise? They have now won four World Series since 2004. They are becoming experts at duck boat parades in Boston. In fact, every time the Red Sox have made the World Series this century, they have won it. This year, 108 regular season wins. They were the highest paid team in baseball, but another way to look at it is they spent their money wisely because a lot of big spending baseball teams lose every year too. And sad news from baseball. Hall of Famer Willie McCovey died today at the age of 80. He, of course, is a San Francisco Giants legend, was an MVP in the National League back in 1969. In fact, the water just beyond the right field wall at AT&T Park in San Francisco, where a lot of home run balls are hit, is called McCovey Cove. It's the stuff movies are made of, a real-life mystery unfolding at one of the world's most recognizable historical sites. Human remains have been discovered at the Vatican, and some believe it could be the break they've been waiting for in a 35-year-old cold case. Behind the walls of the Vatican Embassy, an old mystery brought back to life. Workers found human bone fragments while renovating a building. The Italian media can't stop asking, is it Emanuela Orlandi? The daughter of a Vatican employee disappeared 35 years ago when she was 15. Her story, one of Italy's most intriguing cold cases, with countless theories and rumors, among them that she was kidnapped in a plot to free the man who shot Pope John Paul II. Orlandi's brother believes she's still alive and that the Vatican has answers. The Vatican has always denied involvement. As for the bones, police forensic experts are trying to determine the age, sex, and date of death. That could take at least a week. All right. Are you going trick-or-treating? No, i got to stay here and do the late show, so I can't go. All right. Yvonne will bring us back the candy. She's really East Van. I don't know what that is behind you. What is that? <laughs> I don't know either. <laughs> I don't know. Some uh, lots of great costumes. It's, yeah, some costumes. Uh, still dry out there. Happy Halloween, everyone. Happy Halloween. Be safe, everyone.